0: So, uh, the Advent season. How many of you love Christmas?
1: Ooh. Do you?
0: Um, how many of you find yourself almost every year at Christmas feeling as though it passed too quickly? Does anybody, anybody in that, that camp who, who feels like you get to the Christmas season, you put up a Christmas tree... Uh, We have the songs that we sing at Christmas. Maybe we exchange some gifts. We have some parties with our staff, those sorts of things. And you get to January and you think to yourself, where did it go? Like it it just passes so quickly. Advent, the Advent season, the four weeks leading up to, to Christmas Day is an intentional time to slow down, to take a breath, and to focus so that the season doesn't try to catch us off guard and move by without us thinking intently on what it means that Jesus was born into our world. And so over the next four weeks, we want to do just that. Now, Advent in Latin literally means the coming or the arrival. And so if you can think with me for a moment the concept of Advent is to turn our attention to the coming of Jesus. Now, uh, we, we all would say, well, well, that happened a couple thousand years ago, so uh, can we really do that? Well, for Christians, for years upon years, the focus hasn't just been on what happened, but what will happen again in the future. So Advent isn't just about the past, it's also about the future. Advent is this, this holy longing or anticipation to know Jesus intimately, to know Him faithfully, to know Him regularly, to know that His arrival, the arrival of Jesus, literally changed and will change everything for the good. You see, the coming of Jesus is good news. And that's why the music of Christmas should make us smile. Where's those smiles again? I know in church sometimes we like to just um, let our faces uh, relax, but today I'm going to keep challenging to smile with joy because the coming of Jesus is about joy to the world, to all people. Um, Over these uh, next few weeks... We're going to look, and, and the title of our, of our series is Speaking of Christmas, and what we're going to do is we're going to look at the four different perspectives of the Christmas story that we find in, in, in the Gospels or the, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And maybe you're a little unfamiliar with each individual story, and I, I hope that if you're unfamiliar, you'll jump in. And I also hope that if you're incredibly familiar with the stories, the Christmas stories, the the, the tellings by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I I hope that you will look again with fresh eyes and anticipate what it means that Jesus has been born in the world. This week, we're going to begin with the first. It's found in the gospel of Matthew, and Matthew has some, some very specific purposes, and intent in what he wants us to grasp through his story. Sarah is going to lead us in Matthew's telling the story of Christmas.
1: The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary... Hello. (laughs) Can you hear me? I'll yell. I'll use my diaphragm. (laughs) Yes. Um, After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel which is translated, God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus.
0: Father God, I pray that this morning as we turn our attention to Matthew's telling of the story, I pray that you would awaken within us a holy longing and anticipation to know Jesus once again. I pray that you would awaken within our hearts and our minds the birth of Jesus in a way that would transform us, that would move us from ordinary time into kingdom time, your kingdom. And we pray as Jesus taught us to pray, may your kingdom come and may your will be done here on earth, just as it is in heaven. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Christ, our Lord, our Savior, amen. So I I love that the microphone didn't work because in the ancient world, when these stories were begun, uh, when, when they were shared publicly, There were no microphones or speakers to transmit. And so as people spoke the stories, you had to lean in to listen and to hear the words of life that were being spoken. We didn't plan that. I'm just glad that it happened. (laughs) And hopefully you heard the words, Jesus, Emmanuel, God, God with us. Now, one of the first things that we find as Matthew begins uh, the story is is a phrase that is repeated uh, a couple of times. This is what he says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus. And again, a few verses later, he says, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. Now, I I have a lot of friends, I'm not a Star Wars fan, but I have a lot of friends who are huge Star Wars people. Any Star Wars people in the room this morning? Uh, Yes, Uh, some of the Star Wars movies, and one in particular, begins like this. Once upon a time in a galaxy. You guys know Star Wars better than you know Scripture. (laughs) Wow. We're going to remedy that. Once upon a time, once upon a time is the language of fairy tales. Once upon a time is the language of stories that might grab our attention but have no basis in historical reality. What Matthew wants us to grasp early on is that the story of Christmas is found found in, in the history of our world that it's founded in historical reality. This is a record of the ancestors. This is not a fairy tale. This is not an imagined story that might draw you in for a bit, but has no basis in reality. This happened, and it will happen again. Christmas is grounded in history. And also, there is a history to Christmas. Did you know that? That there's a history to the Christmas we now experience? That it isn't just something that that came about? Did you know that in the second century, for example, uh, Christians... The, the earliest of Christians did not even celebrate Christmas. They didn't even talk about the birth of Jesus the way that we talk about the birth of Jesus today. I mean, we could assume that in the 2nd century and in the 3rd century and in the 4th century, there were celebrations much like we experience today in our world, that there were some sort of uh, Christmas Eve gatherings where people would come together and light candles and talk about the birth of Jesus, but they didn't do that. The earliest of Christians, according to our records, didn't even know the date of Christmas. There there wasn't a big celebration for the coming of Jesus. There is a history to Christmas. And I want us to talk a a little bit about that history. I mean, even the the story of, of Jesus being born doesn't begin with Jesus being born. It begins a long time before Jesus is born. My story begins much longer than just my birth. Uh, Think for a moment about your parents and the the name of your parents. Do you have the name of your parents in mind? Did you know your parents had parents as well? (laughs) Write that down. That's brilliant. (laughs) And they had parents as well. My dad, Wayne Anderson, born in a small town in Mississippi, my mom, Janice Anderson. I mean, my story is linked to their story, and their story is linked to an older story, which is linked to an older Do you know what my grandmother's name is? It's one of the funniest names. Eula Verloo Harrison. <laughs> Eula. She was, uh, I think, number 18. 18th child in, in her family. And I think they just ran out of names. And, and they were like, let's just link some letters together and see what comes about. Eula, Verlu, yeah, that Eula Verloo. My story is connected to Eula Verloo's story. And her name is the Harrison story, which is connected to the presidents in the United States, the Harrison presidents, two of the worst presidency in American history. That's my family, y'all. The stories that we, we live in the world today have histories to them. The story of Christmas, I think, goes back even before the times of Jesus. and uh, There were winter celebrations taking place. Um, almost as far back as we have any history. Um, what's interesting about these, these, these winter celebrations that would take place with groups of people and tribes of people, there are pieces to it. Um, people in the ancient world were brilliant. Did you know that? I mean, they learned how to stack uh, stones and create bricks and build things like the pyramids that we see. There, there, there were brilliant people who who began to track the sun in such a way that they realized and and marked when the days were getting longer and the days were getting shorter. And so there were winter celebrations that would celebrate the winter solstice, the moment at which the days were the shortest and new life was beginning because days were beginning to grow again. This is part of the history of Christmas, uh, Norse history. Uh, the Norwegians would would. would take large uh, logs and they would burn them and they would have huge feasts and celebrations until the logs ran out. Like this was part of the winter celebrations. There were pagan gods like Odin who was celebrated. Um, this uh, cattle in the ancient world were slaughtered as the, the winter solstice came because they didn't want to have to feed the cattle through some of the harshest moments of the winter. And so they would slaughter the cattle, which meant they had all this fresh meat that they could eat. There would be feasts. Uh, Wine and beer had been in process, and it was fermented, which meant it was safe for them to drink them at these moments. So there were huge celebrations in the winter months that I think form some of the foundations that we celebrate. Christmas, the history of Christmas. It was the 4th century, the 3rd to 4th century when uh, theologians in the early church began to focus on the importance of the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, God entering the the world through the birth of a baby named Jesus, the 4th century, when the Christmas that we now experience begins to take shape. They had to decide on the date because they didn't keep records that knew the date of Jesus' birth, so they had to decide on when, when are we going to celebrate, and there are many different theories on how this came a bit, uh, about, but most people uh, kind of landed on either December 25th or January the 7th, and those are celebrated in different parts of the world, different dates. I think we should celebrate Christmas from December 25th through December the 7th. That was kind of a lackluster Amen. I mean, I think we should take that time off work. Anyway. Okay. Yeah. Um, There were feast-like celebrations uh, in in these days. And as time progressed, uh, what would take place is that the upper class, those who had more resources, would begin to celebrate in a way that would invite those who didn't have as much into a party-like atmosphere. Uh, Many people say that the earliest of Christmas traditions uh, were were more like Mardi Gras than they were the Charles Dickens uh, type pictures that we think of when we think of Christmas. So it was like more of a Mardi Gras party, feast-like atmosphere. Now we've talked about this before. God loves a good feast, does he not? I mean, the Bible reminds us time and time again that heaven is like some sort of dinner party and Christmas was celebrated in this way. That as we begin to focus on the incarnation, the birth of Christ, that there were these feasts, the upper class and the lower class would, would begin to move toward one another. Now, do you see the good in this? That, that, that people who might be separated by world standards might be pulled together around this time of year. Now, in early America, did you know Christmas was outlawed? Like in Boston specifically, Christmas was outlawed. No one should live in Boston. I'm just kidding. I know we've got patriot fans in the room. and uh, It was outlawed because Puritans, uh, Christians who were new to this world, believed there was too much mixture between uh, the secular and the sacred. And, and they wanted to step back and say, no, no, there should be... There should be no combination of the two. I disagree. Because I believe that God, through the Christmas story, wants to redeem every part of his world. And anything that we can do to to connect the secular to the sacred, we should do all that we can to bring those things together. That we should redeem what might be seen as a difficult uh, tradition out in culture. We should redeem that for the good of Jesus. So this is the history of Christmas. God is here. Now, come on, there should be an amen to that. God is here. He's he's with us. I mean, it's the story of Jesus entering into the world. A few things I don't want us to miss when we talk about the history of Christmas, and here's If you miss everything else, if you're sleeping right now, like nudge the person next to you and have them wake up because I don't want you to miss this. If you miss everything else, the good news of Christmas reminds us that which has always been true. God is at home in his creation. God is at home in his creation and he is with us. Yes, I love it. Matthew, I think, wants us to get a glimpse of this truth, that God is at home in his creation. He is here. He is with us, and he is for us. So often, when we, when we talk about God or we think about God, we think about a distant God who maybe looks at the earth and where we live and and looks at the the communities and the cultures which we're a part of, and he just shakes his head with his arms crossed. But God is the God who stepped down into creation to become one of us. And that's the good news of Christmas, that we're not alone. You are not alone. In whatever it is that you're facing in your world today, the Christmas story declares and proclaims that you are not alone. You are not alone. God is here and he is with you. You're facing the loss of a job that you thought you would have and you don't know what the next chapter looks like. You're in a stage of life where you think you're unhirable. It's too late for you. The Christmas story is one of joy because it reminds you that you are not alone in that moment. You're facing one of the most relational, difficult moments that you've ever... You and your spouse, you've been married for 20, 25 years. And you wonder if there's any future for you. You've been in tension and conflict. And you want to throw in the towel and you want to walk away. The Christmas story reminds you that God is not absent from that story. He is with you in the midst of the tension. Your child that you've been praying for seems to have jumped off into the deep end and they seem to be ruining their life and all you want is for them to... The story of Christmas reminds you that he or she is not alone, that God is here and he's with us. Well, Matthew gives us some names to think about. Uh, The first name is Jesus. You are to name him Jesus, which means God saves. God saves. There's good news that God saves us. He redeems us. He restores us. He remakes us in his image. And Jesus proclaims and declares this and gives us a picture of what it looks like. Uh, The second name that... Uh, Matthew mentions in in particular is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. God with us. God is here. He is with us. And God wants to redeem all of the mistakes, the sin. When we miss the mark, God wants to redeem that and pull that back to find life in Jesus. Now... uh, it's interesting to me that, that Matthew begins with the lineage of Jesus. This seems really boring, the lineage of Jesus. If you, if you just read from Scripture and it's like uh, this, person this person had this person had this person had this person had this person, and if, if you're like most people, you just skip the lineage because it doesn't matter, right? Oh, wow, we got amens for that. <laughs> But Matthew includes the lineage of Jesus because he wants us to notice and listen and pay attention to what the Christmas story means for us, even in today's world. And so he begins by by telling the story. He wants us to know that Jesus is connected to Abraham, uh, who many would call the father of the faith, that Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had Judah. These are names that maybe you're familiar with. Maybe you're a little disconnected uh, to some of these names. But these are like key names in the long line of, of, of the faith. They're like big names. And you would, you would anticipate, you would expect that Matthew would would use these names, but then Matthew plugs something in to make sure we're paying attention. And here's what he says, Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now, the fact that he includes a woman in this list is huge because women had no standing and and there there, there was no reason to include women in the lineage of, of anyone else. I know sometimes we say amen to certain things, but sometimes we should say boo. Like, that's not a good thing. And, and one of the things that Jesus does is he, he lifts women up. He gives them a status that they deserve as, as children of God, just as much as men. And so, so Matthew wants us to grasp this. He wants us to see this but he wants us to understand something else tucked within the story. And many of us are disconnected from some of the Old uh, Testament stories. But you know, Tamar and Judah had an interesting relationship. Did you know Tamar was was Judah's daughter-in-law? And that Tamar actually tricked Judah into sleeping with her so that the story could continue, so that she could have a child? Now, let me say that again. Tamar tricked her father-in-law into sleeping with her so that she could have a child. Let me say that again. (laughs) You should read the Bible. It's better than any TV shows that are written. This is actually in the Scripture. And it's so important that Matthew puts it into the lineage of Jesus. Jesus can redeem anyone's story for good. Anyone's story for good. And so Matthew continues. He, he wants us to know that she's not the only one. Let's, let's, just keep, let's just keep going. Well, hold on a second. Before Tamar gets a bad rap, she did this because Judah had treated her in a way that he shouldn't have treated her. It was Judah's fault. It wasn't her fault. So let's just make that clear. Okay, anyway, let's, let's keep going. Um, he continues, and he gets to, um, I'm going to, Salmon. It's not Salmon, but Salmon it was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Now, if you don't know Rahab, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute. He, <laughs> I, know, I know the whole amen thing is new to us, we'll get better, <laughs> I promise. Matthew, um, like looking at, from our perspective, Matthew could have chosen better women. If he's going to choose women, he, he, could, have choose, he, he could have chosen women uh, who had better repu, reputations. But he wanted us to notice something. He, he wanted us to see something. And he continues. It didn't end here. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite. She was an outsider. She wasn't even a part of the people of God. She wasn't included in in those who thought they were blessed by God. She was on the outside of the faith looking in, but God still used her to bring about his son, Jesus. Let Let me tell you something. Some in churches today and some in this church, you feel like you're an outsider to the faith. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. You feel like you don't know enough. You haven't seen enough. You haven't heard enough. You didn't go to Sunday school. Your parents didn't bring you up. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. And I want you to know this, that you are at home with God and your past does not matter. It does not matter to him. God invites you into his story and he doesn't just invite you into his story. He leans into your story so that you might find something new in him he did this with Ruth and he continues this isn't the end king david i mean he wants to talk about king david who everybody loved king david was like king james not the bible one but the other king james it was like michael jordan i mean king david he was like everybody king david david was the father of solomon whose mother was Bathsheba. And Matthew could have ended right there, whose mother was Bathsheba, and we would have thought, oh, that's not a bad story. But what he wants us to see is that Bathsheba was the widow of Uriah. And King David, the one that everybody looks up to, he was the one who slept with Bathsheba when she was married to one of his friends and had Uriah killed. So that King David that you want to like say, oh, King David, King David, oh, that King David... And God invites him into his story. Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah, who was killed to cover up sin. God includes even him and her. Now, don't miss this, that God invites all of your dysfunction into his story. All of your dysfunction, like all of it. Like, he doesn't want you to get it all cleaned up before you come into the faith, but he will redeem it once you come in. Like, all of our dysfunction, uh, all the good news of Christmas is that it can be redeemed, every bit of it. Um, Just a quick question to see who's still listening. How many of you have dysfunctional families? Yeah. You're welcome at home in the faith of Jesus' community. And that is the good news of Christmas. No one excluded from this. And I love this, um, that the good news of Christmas is for everyone and everywhere. Now, come on, this is, an, this is one of those amen moments. Um, I think I, I said it this way, that um, the good news of Christmas invites your family dysfunction. The next one, um, the good news of Christmas, the story of Christmas, is good news for everyone, everywhere, not just a select crowd in a limited location like this one everywhere, everyone, all of us. And one of the things, yeah, and one of the things that Matthew does that sometimes we miss is he includes the story of the Magi, we three of, see, I'm feeling a lot better. You know songs now that are closer to the Bible but not actually in the Bible, but we're getting there, we're getting there. Um, This was from the fourth century. It's a mosaic found in Italy in uh, one of the churches there. And uh, it it represents the, the three Magi and, and uh, maybe this is where the We Three Kings comes from. There's no number in, in Scripture, but there were three gifts. So maybe, you know, there's a few things that kind of come together. Matthew is the only story of Jesus that includes the three magi, the, the three kings that we sing about. Did you know that? That's the only one. There's four different perspectives. Why does Matthew include the wise men, the, the, the three kings? Because he wants us to know that God is even invites to the Christmas story. He invites those who aren't even at home in Bethlehem, Israel. He, he wants us to know that you are invited no matter where you come from. And he invites us to bring our best, which is what the three kings did. One last thing, and then we're going to sing about Jesus. And I don't want us to miss this as we walk through this Advent season. Matthew includes this genealogy that is, seems random at times. There's some numerical things in there too that Matthew knew that his, his Jewish audience would understand. It's a little disconnected from us, but, but I think one of the things that we can take and, and walk out in our lives this Christmas and this Advent season is that God wants to use all of us, every single one of us, to bring his light into a dark world, to the darkness that someone is experiencing around you. Like God wants to use you this Advent, this Christmas season, to bring a little bit of his light. Do you know that we live in a world um, that, that where there is a lot of darkness and, and a lot of people feel that they are surrounded by darkness and completely alone. And Matthew, who's bringing this message, this this truth that God is at home, like Matthew wants us to realize that we are the ones who now bring this story into fruition in the world in which we live. You and me, like he invites us into that. And so we're gonna sing this song about Jesus and what a wonderful name it is. And, And as we do this, I want you to consider... And think about the telling that Matthew gives us, the the words that he gives us, and the invitation that he gives us in this whole history of Christmas. Did you know your life can become a part of the history of Christmas for someone else? Like you can be the light in someone's darkness that brings Jesus into their world. And that's One of the things I think Matthew wants to do is he wants to draw us in in a way that helps us take it out from this place to the world in which we live.